0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fire to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Hey, we were just singing.
2: We were. Welcome you, to the Grab Leadership Podcast.
0: You grabbed, grabbed your my ukulele off the wall. Hey,
2: uh, preview. We are in a future episode. The ukulele <laughs> will make an appearance, a spontaneous appearance in a future episode that we've got coming up yeah. uh, with Lee Camp. That's not today's episode. No, it's like a musical today, Easter we'll egg just, to listen for. For today, we'll just sing. I don't know if you guys can hear this. We can just sing our theme song, Matt, if you'll oh, sing with me. Sure, uh,
0: The Gravity Leadership Podcast. The Gravity there it is. We're committed. Yeah, you got it, buddy. Woo! Whoa,
2: what's the next chord, though? It's probably that minor. Uh,
0: it's
2: more of a sustain. I, don't, sustained... know. I actually don't know how it goes. Right. Anyway, welcome well, to the Gravity Leadership yes, Podcast,
0: everybody. There's somebody out there with uh, perfect pitch or tone uh, approximation. Yeah, I have no idea if that's the right key. And they can probably not name them all. Uh, today we have Dr. Heather Dave Duke Gingrich. On, she is a trauma expert, and I wanted to have her on mm. because uh, this is something that's brand new. Basically, in the last twenty years, I mean, it's not new in the sense of human experience. We've been yeah. experiencing like trauma and generational trauma forever, but we're just now naming it. And as you're a, learning
2: what it does to our bodies, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And as pastors, we're learning. Uh, I can't pray the trauma away. Sometimes, like sometimes, I need extra help. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
2: Um, you know specifically what I mean? Like, because of what it does to our bodies. Yeah. 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 It makes us unable to get into a space bodily where we could actually be open to prayer, healing, yes. all of that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And so it's an
2: interesting, it tr- is. It's, a, it's an interesting conundrum. I mean, interesting in the sense of like it presents us with new categories that I think, mm-hmm. I know, you know, 15 years ago, I wasn't really thinking like this. Uh-uh. In terms of my like, when I was discipling people or counseling with people, or um, so this is it is very new in the last
0: few years, right? And so now we have a whole new world of trauma and how we help Mm -hmm. identify trauma with people who are in our churches and help them find resources, help care for them, and as a pastor, like one of the one of the things, uh, the gifts of wisdom, which comes through Mm. failure, (laughs) is knowing what you're not. Uh, equipped to do is just as important as knowing what you are equipped to do yeah Uh, and so all that to say I think that uh, this interview is important her book is helpful and we want to get right to it unless we have some things to announce Uh,
2: I don't think that we do we've got some uh, some upcoming um, uh, an upcoming podcast series that we're going to be starting here in a couple weeks on uh, how to be a Christian in America (laughs) Becoming harder and harder. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and you know, uh, if you listen so, outside of America, this could still be a, helpful for you to understand the peculiar uh, yeah, weirdness. If you look like, at America, yeah. and you're like, "What in the world what is going on?" So anyway,
2: but yeah, that's that's about it. I think so. I think we, uh, I think we can head right into this interview uh, with uh, Heather, Dave Duke Gingrich, yeah. talking about trauma discipleship, and yeah, I, I like what you said, Matt. That it's. Um, it's not like, oh, hey, here's some information about trauma so you can like disciple people. We're going to get you up to out speed. In yeah. 15. So now you're an expert you're a trauma expert. No, that's not it. It's this, this whole new world is basically um, allowing us as pastors and as disciple makers to know uh, when it's time to, you know, as part of someone's discipleship, like mm-hmm. maybe it's like time to do some EMDR, maybe mm. go see a trauma expert, you know, like a lot of these new therapies and all that kind of stuff. Um, that can we can work in partnership with um, therapists and people who really know what they're doing in this realm. I think in partnership with our basic kind of disciple making and Christian leadership and pastoring that we want to do yes. uh, for people. So anyway, yes, She's sir. got a lot, she's got tons of knowledge on it, and I look forward to uh, re-listening to this interview. Roll tape. Roll tape. <laughs> go.
0: Dr. Heather Dave Duke-Gingrich, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you. You uh, are here because you've written a most excellent book on a topic that has been getting a lot of airtime, but uh, that we don't truly understand, I think, uh, to the depths we need to, and that is trauma. The book is called Restoring the Shattered mm-hmm. Self. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, before we get into that, would you just give yourself a brief introduction to our audience, uh, who you are, what you spend your time doing?
3: Okay. Um, I am a professor of counseling at Denver Seminary uh, at the moment. I've been in the counseling field for about 35 years, um, which makes me feel really old, but I was the youngest in my graduating class. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, complex trauma or Survivors, adult survivors of abuse have been my area of specialty almost from the time I graduated in the 1980s with my master's program mm-hmm. and just gradually over time uh, began to see more and more people with a, an abuse background. Um, also those with dissociative disorder, such as what used to be known as multiple personality disorder. Okay. Um, so, It's just kind of a specialty that God brought my way. I didn't seek it out, but it's people kept coming in and I had to figure out what to do.
0: So this is fascinating to me. Um, in, In the early 80s, when you got your certification, you began exploring people from abuse backgrounds. Can you maybe just share briefly, how has the landscape of how we understand trauma changed from when you first started until now?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Really, when I started, there was very little talk about trauma. Uh, There was not even an elective course on trauma offered in my master's program. Um, Actually, there still sometimes aren't (laughs) courses in trauma offered. And and there was very little offered if if there was trauma. And, And even in years since then, it's often been PTSD. It's been war vets or uh, natural disasters Uh, people who were like counselors who were seeing people with an abuse background were kind of doing their own thing in their their own world and the people that were working with war vets and the people that were working with child abuse survivors weren't really in much contact and so Mm -hmm. that has has kind of impacted the trauma field quite a bit and even now part of what, what's happened is that there's more and more knowledge about PTSD, which is wonderful, but often the more complex trauma, the, the abuse histories, that's not really as well known, even by professional counselors. So that's yes. where, where my passion for for my book came from. It's like I want as many counselors or pastors or lay leaders as possible to understand that there are differences in treatment, there are differences in how how these people live their lives, and I really wanted to see them get help.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we're so excited to have you here. So maybe just to set the table, you're using some uh, words and phrases that I think in our vernacular are just used interchangeably, but if I had to guess, there's probably some sort of delineation between them. Words like PTSD um, and and trauma. Um, could you just, just maybe set the table, is there, a, do you differentiate between those two labels? And what is, when you refer to trauma, what are you referring to?
3: Well, trauma can be the result of of almost anything because ultimately it's subjective in nature. You know, five people can go through exactly the same event. Two of them might have severe post-traumatic symptoms and Mm. three of them might have very few. So that's very important to understand is that research has shown that no matter what the event is, that's potentially traumatic, not everyone is necessarily impacted by it in in the same way. And there are are all kinds Mm. of reasons for that, which we probably don't have time to go into, but it includes things like, you know, (laughs) differences and in biological makeup, and personality, and whether there is uh, social support or not—all um, all kinds of factors go into how resilient someone is. But but that is the reality that that an event that is beyond someone's ability to to cope with it can potentially become traumatic. Mm-hmm. No, no matter how big or small that may seem um, to an outsider looking in. And, and so, yeah. for anyone, you know. I, yeah. I think that's important for anyone in a helping role. When we kind of go in, it's really important to to listen to the person, to understand what the impact has been on them and not make assumptions about.
2: Yeah. So you, you can't tell from the event necessarily like how bad right. it was or whether whether somebody should be responding one way or another. Like it's really important to just – listen and say, I need to believe this experience. This experience was their experience. Even if I went through this and I'm like, that was that doesn't sound that bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in, like there is a, you have to set the table like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah? You have to listen to what people are saying. That, to you. And
3: yeah. that is key out of, out of anything that we talk about today. I think that is the most important is to recognize that everyone's experience is their own and that we need to be willing mm-hmm. to listen to what their experience is. And that's where sometimes, like for lay helpers, for example, often tend to want to share their own experiences as a result of of showing compassion. And there can be a place for that, but it can also be destructive because the reality is, is that none of our experiences are exactly the same. Uh, And so that can actually, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, while offered to help kind of validate someone's experience that might actually have the reverse effect with, with the person you're trying to support kind of going, yeah, but that's not what it's like for me, whether or not they say that, you know,
0: they may be thinking that.
2: Right. They want to be nice to you too. And they don't want to let you know that that wasn't helpful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we've all sat with friends who've gone through a difficult experience, something they're naming as difficult. So what, what then, Mm. um, as a person who wants to care for people in my life, whether as a, a pastor or a small group leader or just a friend, What's the difference between someone who's having a hard time processing a difficult experience mm. and someone who has, like you say in the title of your book, a shattered self or is experienced trauma? What are some of the things that indicate to you that there's trauma involved, not just sadness or grief?
3: Yeah, Good question. Well, there are specific post-traumatic symptoms that, that people will experience if an event has been traumatic for them. So the ones that are most often kind of talked about are intrusive symptoms or or re-experiencing. So this is where, you know, flashbacks is kind of the lay term for that. And flashbacks can be either partial, you know, where someone's, you know, hearing, you know, an event that happened or kind of visualizing something again, or they can be like full flashbacks where the person um, suffering from it is losing a sense of current place and time, and is and thinks they are back in that situation uh, totally again. So we see that on media, on TV, and so on. You know the the guy, the the vet who ends up jumping behind the dumpster when a car backfires and pulling out his gun. Yeah, uh, you know who actually thinks that he's you know back you know in the combat zone. Uh, So those intrusive symptoms can be uh, in the form of flashbacks or or nightmares at night where the trauma kind of gets replayed over and over again in some way or another. Then another aspect is uh, hyperarousal, where the nervous system is just on edge. Part of that is hypervigilance, you know, where someone is always alert for danger. So it's like someone's going around in a high physiological arousal state, you know, they'll Jump at any any noise, or just the yeah. like, you know, nervous system is on edge, uh, so that that hyperarousal, uh, and then uh, so so those are 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 really key areas. You know, not not everyone that is going through a grieving process experiences those kinds of post traumatic symptoms, right? So right. they can experience um sadness and. Um, you know, a, a lot of grief. They may experience, you know, some bad dreams or nightmares, but it, it you know, may not be reenacting the trauma in the same way. And um, you know, another post traumatic symptom is is avoidance, trying to avoid any reminders of the trauma, hmm. you know, because someone doesn't want to be triggered. That could be conscious or unconscious. Yes. So, so those are hallmarks of kind of PTSD. Um, in itself, um, complex PTSD, which is what my book is about, also has um, other symptoms because that trauma takes place uh, usually in childhood when you know children are still developing and growing their sense of self and identity and learning how to manage their feelings, just learning how to relate to people in the world. All of those things are impacted uh, in ways that, that well, there's developmental kind of stunting that happens mm-hmm. that's going to be different than, say, a war vet who has no history of trauma or abuse in their background mm. uh, and has a, a, a trauma to deal with that could be really difficult, but that trauma has happened to a person that has kind of a solid foundation uh, of sense and identity, has had you know pairing parents, has uh, knows how to relate to people and so on. Those two people are are going to look very different.
0: Yes. Um, and yes. so
3: and, and that's something that, that is not well understood even amongst counselors in the field, because people who've been through that kind of um, you know chronic relational trauma will have ptsd symptoms too you know you can check all the boxes for ptsd but there's so much else that has to be worked with so um Mm. so Mm. that's part of my passion you you know and in writing the book is to kind of go not all trauma is alike not Mm. all ptsd Mm. uh, is alike and it's important to to recognize that there are differences
1: We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. So it, sound,
2: it sounds like you're saying, like, the complex... So uh, a traumatic event, anybody can have a traumatic event, but it seems like the... I don't know, you haven't used this term, but simple trauma, (laughs) if we're going to compare it to complex trauma, simple trauma is related to an event like a a vet goes to war or, you know, something uh, tragic, you know, it's kind of one event happens to somebody and that's what we're dealing with. But it sounds like complex trauma happens when you start to notice that something, yes, maybe something recent happened to somebody, but it triggers all of these other like thematic or iconic sort of elements that go all the way back to childhood where it's like, oh, this this trauma is almost like a layer on top of more trauma. And the reason they experience this as traumatic is because, you know, of some some previous trauma. Is that kind of what you're saying? Is that what complex trauma is? Or am I is that too simplistic?
3: That's that's part of it. And, and I should and I should okay. mention that that there is research that shows that people who develop PTSD say as a result of of combat trauma or whatever um, often actually have a history of complex trauma so that makes them more susceptible
0: mm. yeah and, yes
3: and that gets complicated yes. in terms of of helping that person heal too because if they go to the VA for help they're going to focus on the PTSD they may not even ask questions about complex mm. trauma background but but the main differ- the, the main difference is that complex PTSD or complex trauma is generally relational in nature at the hands of another person Mm. and generally at the hands of a person who is thought to be safe or who is supposed to keep that person safe. So, you know, if you think about cases of incest or physical abuse in the home, so parents or grandparents or an uncle or an older brother or a coach or a pastor or Mm. a youth pastor, you know, someone who's kind of in a position where, the child is supposed to be protected, but, but isn't that the trauma happens at the hands of that person. So you can see how that's quite different than a tornado um, hitting and destroying your home. While that can be devastating, there's not the same sense of betrayal at the hands of another. And, and all of these other things don't necessarily get impacted, like a sense of, of who you are and your, your ability to um, you know, to learn just how, how to, how to manage life relationally and so on are not, I mean, some of those things can be impacted by a single event trauma. I mean, every, everything gets impacted, Mm. but it's, it's not often the same kind of core issue. It doesn't impact kind of the core of the person. So that's where complex PTSD Mm. is, is quite different. Yeah. You know, if you think about a child,
2: that's really helpful yeah yeah that's really helpful so you know we're recording this in the middle of um coronavirus pandemic which has been in a sense traumatic for people right that there's like wow there's lots of you know but that's a different like we sort of expect a virus to do what a virus does you know what i mean like we expect that it's not like oh man coronavirus betrayed us (laughs) right (laughs) no it's that's what a virus does it's sort of you know it's like an unthinking thing it's like a tornado it's like a you know But that's a very different kind of trauma than than the like uh, like you said. It strikes at the core of our identity, our belonging to other people. Like, what does it mean to be me? Um, That that's much more what you're talking about when you're talking about complex trauma, because it always has to do with relationships. That makes now with
3: respect to the virus, complex trauma. Mm -hmm survivors can be impacted in, in different ways. I mean, the statistics that are coming out, for example, are showing that because of staying at home and, and quarantining or, or isolation, then oh, children yeah. who are already sure. already being abused, have no escape from their perpetrators.
0: Yeah. Um, right. Or yeah. in
3: the areas of intimate partner violence or spouse abuse. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that woman or that man ha- has doesn't have the normal escapes that they might have to be able to, to run someplace else because everyone is trying to keep their distance. So so while the yeah. virus itself it could have a different kind of trauma for, for many people, it does impact survivors of complex trauma yes. uh, in other
0: ways.
2: Yes, because of the way that we have to respond right. to it yeah yes yeah yeah
0: so well as you're as you're sharing, I'm thinking of uh Ben and I are both pastors, and we talk and work with pastors, and a lot of them uh are being increasingly diagnosed with p t s d because of some of the hazards mm. of the job, <laughs> but, then, yeah. but then also um you know if you're a pastor and you haven't encountered somebody who has experienced trauma. Uh, I I don't know, maybe you need to get off your private Island. Like it feels like (laughs) this is, this is ubiquitous now in our culture. And so I wonder then what, what are some of the things I'm looking for a guide of what I'm, what I can do as a pastor who maybe had a pastoral counseling class in college or somebody who's read a book or two about how to listen and set boundaries, But uh, what what can we do with somebody who maybe has trauma in their story? And then what is maybe something we can't do that a trained therapist or counselor needs to do?
3: Well, I mean, the relationship is, is what it's all about Uh, having a safe, safe relationship where someone can feel heard. And, and what we talked about right at the beginning, just not making assumptions, um, Allowing someone to tell their story uh, yes. is huge. Now, it, you know, actual healing from complex trauma, especially if it's been like chronic abuse that spanned years or even decades, most pastors are not going to be able to do long-term counseling with someone like that. Uh, so the, the best, so one of the things they can do if the their parishioner is open to it is, is make a good referral. And one way to make a good referral is to ask some questions of the counselor. Don't just assume that that any Christian counselor necessarily is trained in trauma. And don't assume that anyone who's trained in trauma is trained in complex trauma. So if, if I were a pastor wanting to make a referral, I'd ask a referral source a few questions such as, um, you, you know, I have someone that I'd like to refer to you. She was abused or he was abused, um, as a child, um, what kind of training do you have in working with adult survivors of abuse or complex trauma or what's the approach you take? And if they go, uh, uh, then (laughs) that's probably not a good source. If they talk about, um, PTSD and they just talk about PTSD, training says, well, I do prolonged exposure therapy. Well, that that's not good enough for complex trauma. Um, and if they say they do EMDR, you know, that could be really good training, but I would want to know what else they do. Cause what I tell my students is EMDR can be a really helpful approach, but it's most helpful when it's in a fuller context of trauma treatment. Um, it doesn't help Mm -hmm. everyone. And with, with certain people who, who have complex PTSD, it, it isn't even, uh, considered a good treatment technique without specialized training yes. in advanced kind of courses. So I would ask, I would awesome. ask maybe more questions than you might of a referral source. But then, what you could do as a pastor or as a lay helper or whatever is is be a support person. Um, some of that may be involve listening, but not necessarily to traumatic memories, um, but but just to just for the person to know that they have kind of a place to land if they're 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 panicking or, mm. or they're having really difficult post traumatic symptoms or um, or they're having relational difficulties mm. that you can kind of help them in in some of the functioning day to day functioning in life you know what 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 can uh, what are some small goals that they can have where who are some people maybe in the congregation that they've connected to or if they haven't are there some people who mm. Who are willing not to try to fix someone, but but are willing to to kind of be there. But also, both for the pastor or for lay helper, that they're able to set boundaries. That that they're that they're able to set boundaries and that they can clearly describe what those boundaries are. So, in other words, you know, uh, I'm able to talk on the phone with you, uh, but you know, in the middle of the night. I'm not I'm not available. I need my sleep and whatever. But you can call this crisis hotline. Hmm. You, you know or mm-hmm. um you know I am available for like a, a 10 minute phone call maybe at the time but then I have kids running around so um you know I would have to arrange another time to talk. Like just kind mm. of setting parameters. Um because people when they're desperate will take what you are willing to give them. Yes. But the the danger is of burning out. Right. And I've seen that happen where as a counselor, I've begged support people who've been involved with one of my counselees and said, I I I really love what you're doing. You're so important in this person's life, but I feel as though you're spending more time than someone can spend long term. Mm. Um so please protect yourself so that you don't burn out and have the person say oh, no, God has called me to this. In fact, he's called me to even work with some other people. And literally, within three months, they burned out and then totally cut off, cut this person out of their life.
0: Yes, yes.
3: Well, you know, I mean, uh, that, that's so destructive. So I think any support person, whether it's a pastor or or a mm. lay person that's just wanting to help, the best thing you can do is be thinking about what offer of support Could you do long-term, like think years, not days or weeks?
0: Yeah, that's good. Or at
3: least months so that, uh, because often people will assume, oh, well, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, they won't be in as much crisis anymore. Well, that's not necessarily
2: true. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. And I I think it's helpful. I mean, a lot of our training, um, a lot of the training that we do with leaders, it helps leaders recognize like why do I have this impulse in me? What and you know, for some a lot of pastors, that impulse is, oh, I need to be there for this person or I need to be, you know, and it's helpful to have some self-awareness so that we realize, oh, maybe some of that is coming from maybe I've got a messiah complex here. I I think I need to be mm-hmm. the one to save everybody, or you know, that kind of a thing. But I think it's really helpful to hear you say, setting boundaries is not just about me protecting myself. As a, as a helper, as a pastor. It's about me loving someone long-term. It's about me like honoring my limits so that I can actually love this person. Because if I burn out, I can't exactly. love them anymore, like I want to. And so I have to honor my limits as a human. Um, and so part of setting boundaries is actually love for neighbor, not just protection. Yeah. That's,
3: so, a, that's a great way to put it. And, and it is so mm. true. And not only yeah. if someone burns out, not only does that particular person or suffer, but then often that pastor doesn't have anything left for anyone else either. (laughs) So, um, you know, I kind of learned that the hard way as a counselor early on where, um, where I really uh, had allowed too many phone calls between sessions and so on. And I got caught in a Mm -hmm. cycle and I cared for this person so much and felt as though as, as a Christian counselor, God, you know, would expect more of me, you know, but then I realized (laughs) after a while that if, if I burn out to the extent that I have to leave the profession, not only this person suffers, but not my other current clients and everyone else that I would potentially have seen in the future will also not have access to me. And so that was a really hard lesson.
0: Well, maybe, maybe Mm. sharing from your own story then a bit, what what are some of the ways, practices or commitments you've made to sort of foster resilience and self-care in the midst of dealing with really difficult, hard cases that could burn you out? What are some of the things that you do to remain resilient?
3: Well, self-care is really important, but, and that looks different for, for everyone. Uh, so the the key is to find... Things that restore you, that renew you, that make you excited about life. Um, so for me, one of those things is music. I I sing in a couple of choirs, and and it takes time. So sometimes my husband will mm-hmm. say, "You're you're exhausted, you know, from your week, and now you mm-hmm. have you know three or four hours of practice rehearsal on a Sunday afternoon. Um, is it really worth it?" And sometimes when I'm on my way to rehearsal, I'm thinking, I'm so tired, you know, why am I doing this? But it's Mm. like, as soon as I'm there, and as soon as I start to sing, um, joy just floods my being. And, and I leave there ready to face the week rather, you know, ready to face whatever comes. So for me, I've learned that, that while it takes Mm. time and energy to do this activity, it, it is necessary for me, it's, it's part of what refreshes mm. me and another thing for me is being in the outdoors um, going for walks hikes bikes um, God speaks to me um, through nature for other people you, you know mm. some women or men um, say that that cooking is really relaxes them and they love it you know for me that would not be my way of, of you know being, being refreshed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you,
1: you
3: know, yeah, um, uh, the You know, and and having relationships that, uh, that having different relationships, having different friends. So I have some friends where primarily we have fun together. You know, we we can talk about deep Mm. things, but that's not primarily why I I get something out of the relationship. It's, it's someone I can laugh with and just, you know, Mm. play games or, or or whatever, mm. and not necessarily have deep conversations. Whereas I need other friends where I can have those deep conversations and feel supported emotionally. So it's really all about finding what is it that works for you, that refreshes you and making sure that that you take the time to do that, to not let it go. Because it's so tempting, right? When we're busy, especially people in ministry, there are so many calls on yeah. our time. But Jesus did that. He took time alone. Sometimes with his disciples, sometimes yeah. just all by himself, no matter who was clamoring for his attention. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's a really mm-hmm. good model to kind of go, well, if if Jesus needed that, certainly we are mm-hmm. going to. Um,
2: yes. Yes yeah I remember Dallas Willard saying uh, if if Jesus needed 40 days in the desert you know uh, to, to kind of before his ministry, I could maybe use two or three exactly you know <laughs> at least at least right
0: uh, yeah. well I feel like there's so much to to mine out here because this is such a, a huge issue in our culture but also our learning is we're catching up trying to figure out what's going on here yeah I wonder maybe just as we wrap this up, You've got a section in your book on maybe the traditional Christian tools that we throw at problems. And I, I don't mean this pejoratively. I, I mean, there's spiritual warfare and there's prayer. Can you just maybe help us gain an imagination for how you think about wh- what what role does prayer play in the healing and resolving of trauma? And then, and then what have you noticed? What does a counselor or therapist bring to trauma that you haven't seen happen maybe just in us praying for you
3: hey there there's a, a couple of questions there but let me begin with just kind of the overall healing process for someone with co- complex ptsd yeah um because then i think we could look at how to how prayer or you know explicitly kind of spiritual interventions whatever fit into that um something that is different than regular ptsd is that Complex PTSD standard of care is phased treatment. So the the first phase is safety and symptom stabilization. So that means feeling safe with a counselor, but that would also feel be you know in, in a pastor who's doing counseling, um, feeling safe with with them or or any lay helper. Mm-hmm. And and this is really and, and this can take a long long time. And you have to remember that if someone has been hurt at the hands of someone that was supposed to be trustworthy, how does this person know that you're not going to hurt them? So part of it, yeah. you know, so for for the counselor, I have things outlined in terms of how you help manage symptoms and so on. But the relational components of developing safety, I, I think are important for anyone who wants to to help support um, someone who is a survivor of complex trauma. And what this means is, Understanding that you represent a person because you are a person Hmm. and that just because you are safe and you're trying to help, it doesn't mean that this individual knows that you're safe or even if you're safe now, Hmm. how you're not going to become unsafe later because, you know, often uh, abusers, perpetrators groom their victims for a long time. and a lot of my clients have been in relationships with helpers who have been safe for even long periods of time and then end up doing something harmful. So, so I think that that's important to, to recognize is, is that this person is not going to automatically trust you just because you know, you're trustworthy hmm. and because you're a pastor or a leader or have been a friend for a long time. And so need to be patient and need to understand that, that, that this is a real thing. Um, then I, uh, then the, the next phase of healing is a trauma processing. And usually it's going to be a counselor who does that, you mm-hmm. know, unless you have, you know, as a pastor, a lot of extra training. Um, you're you're probably not going to go there. But I think understanding that this can be a very difficult um, triggering time mm-hmm. um, can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then the last phase is just kind of reconsolidating, um, you know, the gains kind of learning to live as a healthy whole person and okay, so now, with that is kind of the umbrella of, of the healing process. So where, where does prayer? Where does scripture? Where does maybe you know meditation or things fit into that? Well, I'd say that really depends on the individual because um, especially people who have complex PTSD will often have usually have a lot of struggles in their relationship with God. Questions uh, as mm. to why did God allow yeah. this to happen to me? I yeah. was just this little kid, yeah. and I I prayed yeah. for God to stop it, and He didn't. So, mm. yeah. so you know what can happen is well-meaning Christians and leaders can see that angst, and you know, will will quote scripture verses about God being there about God, caring about mm. God, suffering, you know, with mm. us that are, are true and real, but sometimes a person isn't able to, to really accept that. So it feels a little bit like trying to put a bandaid on a, on, mm. on a wound that's hemorrhaging. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I recommend is, is that we pray for those people ourselves on our own time, we we ask we can ask them if they want prayer and if they say yes find out what they want prayer for because for example as a counselor mm. sometimes my clients want me to pray that they won't experience any more pain well pain f- feeling the pain is part of the healing process and so i'm not going to pray mm. that for them but i'll, I'll say well mm. You know, but I think, you know, you're just getting in touch with your pain and that's part of the healing. So would you be okay with me praying that God would be present in your pain Hmm. or that you would have a sense of peace Hmm. even in the midst of your pain and struggle?
0: Yes, yes. Um,
3: Or, you know, if someone says um, or give them permission. I mean, people are going to expect a pastor more to offer prayer than you know, I'm in a yeah. slightly different position as a counselor, but even then mm-hmm. the more permission you can give to say, Hey, you know, I'm going to pray for you on my own and I can either pray here mm-hmm. with you now or not. That's totally up to you because mm-hmm. I, you know, so that you actually yeah. don't just assume that this is what they want. Um, You know, because at the time, if they are internally raging towards God, they may really not um, respond well to prayer mm-hmm. or, or to scripture at that point. So I, So I think that's part of recognizing that prayer is is powerful and scripture is powerful, but also recognizing that, that this, it may be helpful at at other, at other times, um, directly with the person. And
2: it needs to, it needs to integrate with this total kind of picture of how a person is walking through the healing process. That's not, it's not a magic bullet. It's not a cure all. It's not a magic spell you know what I mean? Like it has to make sense for the person's healing. And, and so I, I hear you saying like, use some common sense, you know, ask people if they want prayer. Don't assume, don't assume, oh, I know what you need. And then I'm going to pray this prayer. If I can just get you to pray this prayer, then it'll all be okay. Right. Because
3: it, because it won't. I um, mean, that's just not, I, I mean, yeah. there are times of course God can intervene in miraculous ways. Um, sure, But it's a little bit like people who are, are physically sick, that there are times that mm. God intervenes in miraculous yes. ways and heals people. Um, yes. But the usual way that God heals is through doctors and, and medicine and going through um, a process. And it seems to me that yeah. the usual way that God heals deep wounding like this involves other people as well, involves a process of time and, mm. and certain things that yeah. happen and i've had some clients say you know you know after they've been through the process i kind of understand why god didn't just kind of zap me and hmm. and and heal me right away in the way i wanted because it would have been it would have been too much for me to take to go from being a, a wounded you know feeling like a victim with so many difficulties to all of a sudden have that gone i wouldn't know how to be in the world i wouldn't know how to God knew that it needed to be more of a gradual process, hmm. and so I think that you know that was an interesting comment. Um, but I think that letting someone know that you are available, and if 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 they have questions and they want to know what Scripture has to say about certain things, if they want prayer directly with them, that that of course you are um, you're open to that, but and that they can ask for that at any time. So it's really a matter of. Of really kind of permission giving that it's okay one way or the other for them to say yes or no that you're going to care about them anyway and not think any less of them or think they're any less spiritual if they if they say I'd rather decline today. Yeah, there's a great there's a great book by the way Diane Langberg uh, wrote it called um... Oh now I just <laughs> Suff- yeah, I got it I got it <laughs> i like oh darn uh, suffering in the heart of God. And it is mm. um, a book specifically in looking at complex trauma survivors and and the mm. wrestling uh, with God and the relationship with God and, mm. and, and ways to respond to that. So I think that could be a really helpful book for leaders to read.
2: Good.
0: Great. Well, okay. we'll put that in the show notes along with a link to your book, Great. Restoring the Shattered Self, A Christian Counselor's Guide to Complex Trauma. Uh, Dr. Heather, Dave Duke-Gingrich, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health.